We are up to mitzvah number 132, and today we're going to do 132 and 133. And like the previous mitzvah 131, which was the removal of the ashes from atop the altar, this one also, these two also relate to the altar. Number 132 is an obligation to always maintain a steady fire atop the altar. And 133 is the prohibition against extinguishing the fire from atop the altar. So you have to have a fire there at all times. Day and night, there's a fire atop the altar. Whether or not there are sacrifices that need to be processed, as we shall see. And that cannot be extinguished. Mitzvah number 132 and 133. As a practical matter, this means that we have to add wood and logs to the pyres, as they're called, atop the altar, morning and night. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, he tells us that there's something very unusual about this mitzvah. The sources and the tradition tells us that there was a miracle in the temple and in the tabernacle that there was always a divine fire from heaven upon the altar. In the first temple, the fire from heaven was in the shape of a lion. And in the second temple, it was in the shape of a dog. But there was always a divine fire atop the altar. Well, if there's a fire, why do you have to add a fire? So he quotes our sages to tell us that even though there's a heavenly fire, there's a mitzvah to supplement the heavenly fire with a human-made fire as well. Now, it is interesting, just as a side note, the Midrash tells us that when they moved, when the tabernacle, when they relocated, they had to decamp and travel, and they took apart the whole tabernacle, and they traveled, the heavenly fire was still on the altar as it was mobile. And Rashi in Parshish Bamidbar, at the end of Parshish Bamidbar, Bamidbar tells us that they would cover the altar with a special cloth to protect it when it was in transit. And what did they do with the heavenly fire that descended upon the altar? The human fire, we could remove that. When you travel, you take off the fire. But the heavenly fire continued even when they traveled. So Rashi tells us that the fire that was crouching like a lion, they would cover it with a special vessel to protect the cloth shouldn't be singed, shouldn't be burned. But there was always a heavenly fire atop the altar. And even though there's a heavenly fire, there's a mitzvah to also place a human-made fire as well. Now, the Sefer Chinuch, he notes something very unusual about this mitzvah. The altar was used to process sacrifices. What do you need to do to make a sacrifice? Well, you need a lot of things. You need a sharp knife to do the slaughtering. And you need all sorts of vessels to process it. And you also need a fire. So why is there a standalone mitzvah to have a fire atop the altar when we have many, many mitzvahs that relate to sacrifices? And the sacrifices mandate that you have a fire. So why is there a separate mitzvah to have a fire even outside of its requirement, its utility to process the sacrifices? And he tells us, and this is one of the major themes of this mitzvah, 
that yes, aside from the requirement of fire to process the sacrifices, there is a standalone mitzvah to have a fire at all times atop the altar. So this is the positive mitzvah, mitzvah number 132, to have a fire. And then 133 is just the flip side of that, the prohibition not to extinguish the fire from atop the altar. You cannot remove even a single ember from the fire atop the altar. It's a very serious prohibition. In fact, the halacha states that like many of the prohibitions in the Torah, if someone violates them and it's done in front of witnesses, they could be brought to court and actually be caned, receive lashes for their violation. If someone were to remove even a single ember from atop the fire, the, the fire atop the altar, that would be a violation of mitzvah number 133, and they would be lashed if the requirements to do so are in place. Now, the Sefer Chinuch does tell us that there were times where we would take some fire from atop the altar. So, for example, we had previous mitzvah that you would take some ashes, some coals from atop the altar. Once you remove it, then it's no longer considered the fire of the altar, and if you were to extinguish it, it would not be a violation. Similarly, the menorah. How do you light the menorah? They would take a fire from atop the altar. Once you remove the fire from atop the altar for the purposes of lighting the menorah, it's no longer considered the fire of the altar, and therefore this prohibition does not apply. Okay, so we have this mitzvah, this idea, you have to have a fire atop the altar at all times, and you cannot extinguish it. And the Sefer Chinuch has a very fascinating essay where he talks about the reason for this mitzvah. And of course, we always remember, this is not the actual reason, but this is an idea that can help bring the concept of the mitzvah, bring it down to our level so we can understand it. And he says a few very interesting things. The first thing he tells us is that there is a protocol for miracles. How are miracles done? A miracle, by definition, is a suspension of nature. You have a whole system of nature, and then comes along a miracle, and it's a departure from the rules of nature. So you have water, and the water is just always flat, right? Maybe there's some waves, but it's always flat. And then you have a miracle where suddenly the water split, and the Jews are able to walk in the dry land amidst pillars of water on either side. That is a departure from the normal rules of nature. But when miracles happen, they're always done in a way that minimizes the suspension of nature. And it allows the onlooker to say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't a miracle. So, for example... When the sea split, this is what he tells us, the example that he features. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, the verse talks about what happened before the splitting of the sea. There was a strong wind, and it was a fierce wind the whole night. There was like a tsunami. There was like a hurricane. And sometimes it's a feature of cataclysmic weather events 
Sometimes the waters just leave the shore and they just leave the sea. And that allows the onlooker to view the miracle as if it was just a natural phenomenon. And that's the rule. Miracles are always minimized. And therefore, given that we have this policy that the Almighty always minimizes the miracle, we are encouraged to do the same. And therefore, if the Almighty gives a steady miracle that a heavenly fire always appears atop the altar, it is incumbent upon us to do what we can to minimize the miracle. And therefore, says the Sefer we have a mitzvah to always have a fire that is of human origin atop the altar, and therefore the miracle of the heavenly fire is not as pronounced. And then he adds, the heavenly fire was almost always invisible. There were some exceptions. There were a few times where there was a heavenly fire. For example, in the eighth day of the inauguration, on on the first day when Moshe handed over the reins of the tabernacle to Aaron and his sons, this is the first day of Nisan, so almost a year after the Exodus, the verse tells us, I think this is in chapter 12 or 13 or something like that, of Leviticus, that a fire descended from heaven. Everyone saw it. That was a departure. There was always a fire from heaven, but most often it was invisible. Now, continues the Sefer Chinuch in his essay, and he asks a very sharp question. He says, wait a minute. Why is there a need to have a fire at all times? After all, the reason why you need a fire is to elevate the sacrifices. Of course, every sacrifice has a different set of protocols. Some are burned entirely. Some, a portion of it is given to the Kohen. Some, a portion of it is given to the Kohen and to the owners. But there's always a part of it that is going to be placed upon the altar. And therefore, the fire, it's effectively a means to process the sacrifice. So if this mitzvah was only, the idea behind the mitzvah was only to minimize the miracle, well, then that would only be needed for sacrifices. There would be no requirement to have a steady fire at all times. We have a special mitzvah to have a fire even when it's not being used to process the sacrifices. And the example that we gave earlier would apply. You need to have a sharp knife to do a sacrifice. Yet there's no mitzvah in the Torah to have sharp knives. It's part of what you need to facilitate the mitzvah, but it's not a standalone mitzvah. So therefore, this idea that we're trying to minimize the miracle, it would not suffice for this mitzvah entirely. And then he says something very interesting. He says a few very, very interesting fundamental principles. He tells us that a person can be a receptacle of divine blessing that can then permeate the entire world. And he recalls what he said in Mitzvah number 97. Mitzvah number 97 relates to the showbreads. And he said over there that the reason why we have breads in the temple is because everything in the temple received divine blessing. And if you want to have divine blessing in bread, in grain, in sustenance, in nourishment throughout the world, 
You have to have a foothold of that in the temple. And therefore, there was bread, 12 showbreads in the temple. And because there was bread in the temple, those breads received divine blessing. And once the blessing found a foothold in the temple in bread, that can then cascade outwardly to all the other breads in the world. And thus, the showbreads served as a means to receive divine blessing in all food worldwide. You have to have something that the blessing can grab a foothold in. And once it's there, it could spread to everything of its type. And the bread of the showbreads that serves as a receptacle of the divine blessing for bread, and once you have a bread in the temple that is full, replete with divine blessing, from there it could spread to all other breads. Says the Sefer Chinuch, just as we want blessing in bread, we want blessing in fire. We want there to be fire at all times in the temple because fire needs to have a blessing. And the word that he says is an incredible line. There has to be a mitzvah in fire in the temple because all humanity has fire within them, like fire in your belly. And we want the fire, the dynamism, the energy that is present in all humanity to be blessed. And therefore, you have to have a fire in the temple. And once there's a fire in the temple, there's blessing in that fire in the temple. And once there's a blessing in the fire in the temple, that can spread to all other fires. And in every person, in all of humanity, the fire that we have within us will be blessed thanks to the fire that's atop the altar. Incredible idea. Why do we have the fire on the altar? So he gives us one idea. And that is, we want to minimize the miracle and the fire that we use to burn the sacrifices. We want to have that obscured and therefore we supplement the fire that comes from heaven with our own human fire. And then he says this incredible idea that there's another reason why we need the fire, not to burn the sacrifices per se, because after all, it's at all times, even when there are no sacrifices to process. Two in the afternoon, all the sacrifices are done. The Kohanim are on a break. The sacrifices will not suffer if the fire is extinguished. Sacrifices come and you start a new fire. No big deal. But we want fire just for the sake of the fire because we want blessing and fire. And once there's blessing and fire in the temple, that can permeate, that can spread to the fire within every person. Now, say elaborates on this idea. What is the nature of this fire within man? So he talks about the idea of energy, the idea of movement, the idea of vitality and dynamism. The fact that we have an engine that drives us, that we have momentum, that we have action, that we have dynamism, that is what is indicative of the fire within us. And it's important for it to be blessed. Because if someone has too much fire, they could be very angry. They could be in danger. They could have fever, what he says. And if someone has too little fire, they'll be sluggish. They'll be lethargic. They'll be weak. 
And therefore, you have to have blessing in the fire. The right amount of excitement and dynamism and action. The right amount of fire in your belly, but not too much. You need the Goldilocks zone. No more, no less. And therefore, you have to have the fire be blessed. Too much fire. It's destructive. Too little. There's not enough vitality. And therefore, you need blessing and fire in the world. And therefore, you have blessing in the fire in the temple. A beautiful idea. Number one, the idea that miracles are obscured. Number two, that we all have some fire, some energy, some dynamism that drives humanity. And it needs a blessing. It needs to be properly balanced. Not too much and not too little. And for that reason, we have this unusual mitzvah that totally independent of the utility of the fire to process sacrifices, there is a mitzvah to have a steady fire atop the altar at all times. Now, as he always does, the Sefer Chinuch provides us a sampling of mitzvos. And he tells us that logs were added to the fire in the morning, two in the morning, two at night, in the afternoon, late afternoon. And there are different fires, not just one big fire atop the altar. There are three different fires. The biggest one was the one that you offered all the sacrifices in. The second one was a small one next to the large one. And that is the, the source fire for the ketores, for the incense. And the third one, there was a third fire atop the altar that was never, ever used. It was just a fire. And it was not used for anything besides for this mitzvah, mitzvah number one. 32 and 133, to always have a fire atop the altar. Now, I will tell you that in a Parsha podcast about a year and a half ago, I spoke about, in Parsha Tzavs, that's the second Parsha in the book of Leviticus, I spoke about this mitzvah. And I suggested another approach as to why we have this fire at all times atop the altar, even if it's not being used to process sacrifices. I think it's a nice idea. I would like to suggest it here as well. We know that a mitzvah could be the byproduct of a, of a given set of factors. You have to have an opportunity to do the mitzvah. You have to have the ability to do it. You have to have the drive to do it. And you have to execute upon your desire to do the mitzvah. I wanted to suggest that when you have a fire atop the altar, what does that mean? It means that you are always ready, should the opportunity arise to do a sacrifice, to do service for the Almighty, you are always ready for it. Suppose it's two in the afternoon and there are no sacrifices. Just as there is a mitzvah to do a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah to be ready to do a mitzvah as well. And therefore, there's a standalone mitzvah to say that's not just the mitzvah itself that is the mitzvah. To be ready, to be prepared, to be ready to pounce on the opportunity to do the mitzvah, that in itself is also a mitzvah. As an example of this, the sources note that 
when Moshe has his prophecy, his initial prophecy at the burning bush, the verse highlights the fact that Moshe noticed it and he turned and he went. He kind of engaged with the sight that was before him, the burning bush that's not being consumed. And the commentaries there say that Moshe was ready for this moment. Yes, there was the opportunity, but he was also prepared for it. And the commentaries tell us that he sees the opportunity, he sees the moment, but had he not seized the moment, had he not been ready, he would not have been selected. All of the giants, all of our heroes are ones that accomplish great things. But they don't accomplish great things because they have more opportunities to accomplish great things. What really separates the giants, the heroes, from the lay people is the readiness, is the preparation, is the getting in position, positioning themselves to be ready to pounce on the opportunity that does arise. The fire of the giants was always lit. If you have an opportunity and you're, you're struggling, where's the fire? Let's get ready. It's too late. You'll miss it. And you never know when a golden opportunity may present itself. And therefore, we have this mitzvah, which again, we're applying it more globally. You always have to have some fire atop the altar, ready to grab onto the opportunity that may arise. We never know when the opportunity will show. But when it does, if you have a fire lit, if you are ready, if you are in position, if you've done all the preparatory work to get ready for that moment, you'll be able to grab it. Otherwise, you'll be scrambling for the fire, so to speak, and you can't just turn it on instantly, and you may not be able to grab the opportunity that may show up. So maybe that's another idea for this concept of the fire atop the altar, mitzvah 132 to always have a fire, 133 to never extinguish it. There's always a fire atop the altar in the temple. And this is mitzvah number 132 and 133, to have a fire atop the altar. And this fire, once it was lit, it stayed lit for days and weeks and months and years and centuries. You will notice in a lot of uh, shuls next to the ark. That's where they keep the Torah scroll. A shul is almost like a, it's called, it's called a mini temple. A mikdash me'at, a small temple. They have a light atop the ark. And it's, it's called a ner tumid, a steady fire. And that is indicative, that it is reminiscent of this mitzvah. There's always got to be a fire of course, we don't have a temple today, but please God, when the temple is rebuilt, we will have a steady fire from then on out. 132, 133, temple fire atop the altar.